0: says bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse them let's just be honest here sometimes in marriage it can feel like you're on opposite sides but because we're Christians we have a Lord of the universe living in us he says bless and do not curse welcome to you and me and Jesus a Christian marriage podcast
1: Hello, friends. This is Mindy and Carrie. It's good to be back with y'all.
0: It really is. We don't just say that. We are glad to know there are people who are hungry to grow their marriage in God's way.
1: His way is perfect, and we want all of you to be blessed with God's perfect marriage.
0: And so we're digging into the scripture to find those things out. It's our hope that you don't ever feel like we're boasting or bragging or telling you how smart we are. We're nothing except for people who have been given the grace to understand that God's way is the best way. And if we apply it, we should expect the blessings He says will come of it. So we're hopeful that you will be moving in that direction as well. Well, as we dive in today, I want to just remind you back in episode one, we mentioned something that we called tools for unity. And we've already covered three of them in previous episodes. In episode two, we talked about your individual relationships with God as spouses in episode three, we talked about communication, just on a real broad and general level. And then on episode four, we talked about the vital nature of humility and how humility is going to help you build unity in your marriage. Today, we want to address the last one that we mentioned on episode one, which is sacrificial love.
1: And we all love the idea of being in love. Yeah. All, that's a wonderful word.
0: I think that's why Hallmark movies exist. Yeah. That's why romance novels exist.
1: Valentine's Day. Is... Yeah. So we really need to start this conversation with a clear biblical definition of love.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's good to have our terms clear when we begin talking about something. So the Bible says that there's no greater demonstration of love than God himself. And I think we all would just nod our heads readily at that statement. But let's look at some verses that say this. Uh, Mindy, can you read Romans 5.8?
1: It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.
0: Yeah, so a paraphrase of that is if you wanna know for sure that God loves you and how he loves you, just look at the cross. You're gonna see God's demonstration of love right there. He gave his only son. John 15, 12 through 13 says, and this is Jesus speaking, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So you hear again in that passage, there's this critical component to love that is a giving sacrificial component, which is really the theme of this episode. We're going to talk about the role of sacrificial love in marriage.
1: It's also good to notice that in those verses, Jesus, our Savior, has given us a commandment. Hmm. So we need to pay attention to that. And what is it to love others as he has loved us? So if we don't know how he's loved us, we need to understand that personally so that we can know how to love our spouse better.
0: Yeah, and in this passage, verse 13 tells us how he's loved us. Yeah. By laying down his life for his
1: friends. Maybe a good way to think about loving your spouse is, I'm going to lay down my life for them. Hmm. I lay down my life for my spouse daily.
0: That sounds kind of intimidating. Hopefully we'll unpack that as we go here in a way that makes sense. I think before we get into a real practical approach to a passage of scripture that outlines sacrificial love, we should also talk about that famous passage that you see on wedding programs all the time, or you hear it read in weddings all the time, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. This really is kind of a definition of love, if you want to think of it that way.
1: Mindy, do you mind reading that for us? Sure. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things.
0: And the following verse, which I didn't include on our list for some reason, says, Love never fails. So I think if we just take a moment to look at all the descriptions, that Paul gives here of love we'll see that th- there's nothing here that i see that could be interpreted as it being about the person who's loving it's all about the one being loved it's all outward focused and before we get into that topic let me just set the context of first corinthians chapter 13 for you this passage is book ended by chapter 12 and chapter 14 naturally which both are dealing with a conflict that was happening in the Corinthian church. There was this arguing going on about what gifts were important and whose gifts were greater. And there was kind of a dissension going on. And Paul right here in chapter 13 points out the most important thing over all the gifts, as good as they might be, is that you're loving each other. And so this idea of, of love that we just read should not be this sentimental kind of touchy feely kind of love that we have in mind, this is a rubber meets the road kind of love. This is the kind of love that deals with conflict and deals with tension, which we have plenty of in marriage, don't we? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So again, to reiterate the main point of this passage, love is not about you. It's about the person you're loving.
1: And another good way to think about it is loving someone means you are pursuing them. You are initiating with them. You are serving them. So if you're not thinking about how I can serve my spouse, how I can love them better, and you're thinking more and you're waiting more for them to, how are they going to love me? What are they going to do for me? That's more selfish. That's not initiating. That's not pursuing.
0: And might I add that it's very normal out of our own insecurities and our own need for love for us to be thinking that way. But again, we're Christians. We're Christ followers. We have the Spirit of God in us. So we are commissioned, commanded, and even empowered by God to do things differently. Love is not about us. It's about the other person.
1: And also another thought. God pursued us. He loved us first. He initiated with us. So, you know, husband, don't come home from work wondering, what does my wife have for me? What good meal does she have? I'm going to sit down and rest on the couch. I'm so tired from work. Husband should be coming home saying, how can I love my wife today? I wonder what her day was like. I bet she's tired from the, the kids. I, I'm going to go home, put my things down, and I'm going to sit at the, the counter and ask how her day was while she's getting dinner ready. That's an example of initiating with your spouse or pursuing with your spouse.
0: And flip that coin over. The wife should not be thinking, oh, I've had it with these kids. I can't wait till my husband gets home. He's going to have all the kids, you know. Yeah. Needs to be the other-centered thing. So the question really comes down to how do we pull this off practically? Well, I think first off, we have to start with a mindset. And that mindset is understanding and then believing that Jesus Christ, who lives in us, can love in this way. He's already demonstrated at the cross. He continues to demonstrate it by putting up with the likes of us every day. He's very patient. He's very long-suffering in His love. And He lives in us. So He can do it.
1: As we grow in maturity in Christ we grow in learning how to sacrifice towards one another. So imagine that. If love is sacrifice, as we learn to love our spouse, we are going to be growing in sacrifice.
0: And that's all possible because Christ lives in us. And so as we believe that, that fundamental truth of Christianity, then we have to step out in faith and start acting as if he's going to love through us because he is going to love through us. We could have picked many passages from the New Testament to illustrate this. There's passages about love all throughout. But we chose Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 20 to go through. Because it just has so many things that are relevant to marriage. So many things that if we take the time, which we're going to do in this episode, to walk through that verse by verse, and just kind of unpack how could this look in marriage, we're going to see the sacrificial love that we're talking about is such a powerful, powerful, and really life-changing thing for marriage partners.
1: So Romans 12 and 9 through 20, let's read verse 9 first. It says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good.
0: So genuine, genuine love. I think it means a real love, not a fake love. You know, we think of genuine leather, genuine this, genuine that. It's the real thing.
1: Sincere.
0: Yeah, sincere, really heartfelt not
1: manipulating
0: exactly so what he's describing here is that when jesus christ is living through us in an action or attitude of love it's going to be the real thing it's not going to be just faked it's not going to be obligatory it's going to be the real thing really concerned about the other person
1: so the second part of what i just read says abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good so what would abhorring what is evil in your marriage mean
0: As I approach that statement, thinking about marriage in particular, I know there are certain things that I tend toward in my behavior and in my attitudes relating to you that aren't healthy. And they're not healthy because they're a sin pattern that I have or a selfishness that's ingrained in me for various reasons. I've mentioned before, one of my big ones is defensiveness. And so you probably have your own version of what I'm describing. And we can legitimately call those evil. Those are things that are going to bring evil into our marriage if we allow them to be manifest. And so we need to abhor those things. And that's a strong word. We need to hate the sin that we're bringing into the marriage. And I think it's appropriate for us to look at that individually. You know, just look at yourself. You've got enough sin to deal with. You should abhor what you're bringing into the marriage by way of sin.
1: Another example of this, the enemy is going to tempt you husband or wife in many different ways. And it might not be something coming from your heart, but it will be coming from the outside perspective. There's times when I've had attention from other men that for a short second, it made me feel encouraged, you know, because I had attention from them, but I hated that good feeling. I was abhorring that to where that could lead. And so I would even go and tell Carrie when that would happen. I don't want it to go anywhere. I don't want the enemy to plant any seeds in my heart because I want to cling to what is good. And what is good is my faithfulness to carry as my husband. He is the only one I want to be happy about who gives me special attention. And that might happen for the husband or the wife in one way or another, especially if the husband or the wife is not feeling well loved by their spouse. And they get special attention from someone of the opposite sex. And the enemy is just feeding lies. Doesn't that feel good? Don't you want to be encouraged by another woman? Because your wife doesn't encourage you much at home. But you need to have that hatred for that evil. And have that mindset of clinging to what is good. What is good is staying faithful to your husband or your wife. No matter what your marriage is like. The good is to stay faithful because God commands us to stay faithful.
0: Absolutely. And I'm so thankful you brought that up because those outside attacks can be not even oriented toward disrupting your, your relationship. It could be a, a tendency to be drawn toward partying with your buddies after work or you know things that are going to tear away at the fabric of your relationship because it's taking the place of time you should be spending with your spouse, for example. So abhorring what is evil means anything that's coming against God's good purpose in your marriage. That's what you should be thinking of. And holding fast to what is good. What is good? Well, you took vows before the Lord in a covenant of marriage. This is a holy covenant. That is as good as it gets, folks. We need to, regardless of any difficulty we might experience in our marriage, recognize God's given us a big blessing. And that is something good to be held on to.
1: And remember, we're talking about love is sacrifice. And sometimes clinging to what is good is going to be sacrificial because things aren't very peaceful between you and your spouse at the moment. But if you're clinging to what is good, if you're clinging to obedience, then God is going to honor that. And you're going to find that he will bless your marriage because you're obeying him.
0: So true. Let's look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, this is really interesting because Obviously, Paul is writing this just to Christians in general, not specifically about marriage. But because we're Christians first, married partners second, we can apply these to our marriage because we are Christians responsible to do these things. So, we think about loving our spouse with brotherly affection. Well, it's pretty obvious because the word brotherly, he's talking about a familial sort of a relationship and a familial devotion and commitment. I mean, we have a greater commitment to our family members than we do to other people. Even though we'll love the other people and we care about the other people, there's a greater commitment. And with marriage, it's even more so. I mean, a husband and wife should have a greater commitment to each other than they do to their kids. I mean, it might sound strange to you, but that's true because it's the foundational relationship of the home.
1: Outdo one another in showing honor. This is not talking about a competition and winning the prize if you do better than your spouse. It's more thinking, I'm going to continue to show my spouse honor and care and love. And I'm not going to wait for the scales to be balanced. I'm not going to wait. I gave to them five times the other day. I'm going to wait for them to give to me five times. And then when it evens out, then I'm ready to give some more. It's not that kind of a thing at all.
0: Yeah. And I think what you're describing there is a very subtle attitude. There's none of us who would say, well, yeah, I wait for their five and then I do my five. We don't look at it that granular. Yet, sometimes we do that. It's like, I give and give and give and give. And when is he ever going to give? We got to be aware of that attitude because we are to just be focused on doing the maximum we can do to honor our spouse and to love our spouse. That's really what this verse is talking about.
1: We should not ever say to ourselves or especially our spouse, when is it ever going to be my turn? I'm always helping you with your problems, wife. I'm always helping you with your problems, husband. You seem to be the one that has all the needs. When is it going to be my turn? You should never say that. (laughs) If you want to pray about it before the Lord, do that. Sure. God is the one who's going to fix that problem. But that would be very damaging to say to your spouse. Yeah.
0: And let's unpack that for a moment. Why is that so damaging? What are you thinking about?
1: When you have the attitude of, when is it my turn? The foundation of that is selfish. It's not coming from a godly, wise, sacrificial heart. You're not trusting the Lord to have it be your turn when it needs to be your turn. And you're not focusing on your spouse who has the needs. With love being sacrificial, many times you're going to feel like you are caring for your spouse and your needs are never getting met. But God wants to tell you, don't worry, I will take care of you. Your needs will be met, but do what I'm calling you to do in obedience in loving your spouse
0: there's so much of this that just ties into basic vanilla faith. (laughs) We're just trusting God to take care of us as we do what he's told us to do. That really is the Christian life in, in simple form, if you think about it. It's trusting God as you're obedient. And all the things that you think you need, even in your marriage relationship, he's on the hook for, not your spouse. Now, he'll do a lot of that through your spouse. But when we have that attitude, when is it my turn? We've just Stepped away from that mentality entirely. And again, abhor what's evil. That, that seems to be a very evil direction to go. All right. Verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Now, the word slothful we don't use a lot it means lazy. So don't be lazy or complacent in zeal. That's another word we don't use very much. Zeal means enthusiasm. It means your, your desire to do well at this. So Our zeal for the Lord, our desire to to live for Him and obey Him and all that should translate into our love for our spouse.
1: We should be motivated to have the best marriage. We should be zealous to have the best marriage. We should be zealous to be the best wife or the best husband.
0: And you're not saying best in terms of compared to other people. Right. You just meaning the best it can be.
1: Right, right. The best that God has for us, not settling and not looking at you see around you with your friends, family, people in your church, and let hopelessness set in. Push that away and say, no, I'm going to fight to have the best because I know God can do that through me and through my husband or my wife.
0: Absolutely. And I think another way this applies is when the scripture gives us marriage-specific instructions, we as husband, we as wife need to be zealous in performing those instructions. We, we need to do everything we can to understand it. We need to do studies on those sections. We need to make sure we got our job description down. And then we got to be diligent, just like we'd be at work, to fulfill the demands of the job description. So husbands, Ephesians 5, when it tells you to love your wife as Christ loves the church, man, we better figure that out and start doing that. Wives, when it tells you to respect your husband, we'll get in the scripture, figure out what that means and be zealous about doing that. You see, as we're each doing our part, the marriage has an opportunity to thrive when we're neglecting or being slothful in our zeal, the things we're supposed to be
1: doing aren't getting done. And being fervent in spirit, I also see that meaning be dependent on the Holy Spirit to live through you to do this. You can't do any of what we're talking about without the Holy Spirit living through you. As you're obedient, then you're serving the Lord and that is delighting the Lord and He is going to honor you.
0: And remember, we're talking about self-sacrifice here. Love is sacrificial. And so... Don't hear us saying any of this is going to be easy. Don't hear us saying zealously sticking to your responsibilities as husband or wife is going to be simple. It's not. It's going to take self-sacrifice. It's going to take truly sacrificial love.
1: Verse 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. I love what it first says, rejoice in hope. Because that's a huge part of what our attitude about marriage needs to be. We need to be hopeful. I mean, how many times is a bride and groom, when they're saying their wedding vows, do you see them with hopeful, joyful faces? Yeah, I mean, every time. time, Every time. It's not a sad occasion when you go to a wedding, it's a rejoicing occasion. And so think of that just realistically. You're starting out your marriage in hope and you're rejoicing. You have this great celebration with friends and family. So, God wants us to keep that vision of hope set before us all the time, because He knows He's going to do that work in us.
0: Yeah, and our hope is in Him and who He is, His character, His goodness, His desire to use us as part of His kingdom work as a couple. There's just so much need for hope. And the reason that we're making a big point about this is because marriage is a context and an environment in which hope can diminish rapidly. When you start having difficulties and the things you were so hopeful about are not coming about, you can get discouraged. You can get disillusioned. You can wonder if you made a mistake. I mean, all kinds of ways hopelessness can manifest itself. And we've got to rejoice in hope, rejoice in the fact that God is a God of hope. He put us in this marriage for our good and for His glory, and we're going to persevere because we want to find that hope.
1: I love that. Just imagine the path that you walk down when the two of you get married, the day of your wedding, you're rejoicing in hope. You're looking towards your future and you're hopeful. You're rejoicing. You're excited. And then God gives us instruction as we continue down that path of marriage, Tribulation's going to come. And what does he say? He says, be patient in that tribulation. Hmm. And so when we're patient in tribulation, that doesn't mean that we're just having this attitude of calmness And patient. We're patient about what? Well, we're patient on Him working in that tribulation. We're patient and trusting. Then what does He say when we're waiting on Him, trusting on Him in tribulation? He says to be constant in prayer. So, when the tribulation comes, we need to trust Him to work because we're asking Him to work. We're constantly praying about it.
0: Yeah, I can't emphasize enough how important prayer is in marriage. Individually, as spouses, but also together in seeking the God of heaven and earth to help you. I mean, just saying it that way, doesn't that just make total sense that <laughs> you want God to help you?
1: <laughs> the most powerful being in the universe, helping you with some of your hardest issues and tribulations.
0: Yeah. Why would we not be praying?
1: Yeah. So another form of sacrifice, loving sacrifice for us might be, this is hard work to have to pray all the time. Well, that hard work is a sacrifice, but you need to do it.
0: And it's a loving sacrifice. It's it's an expression of love toward your spouse to be making the time to diligently pray together. All right, let's move on to verse 13. It says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And we should probably start here by just acknowledging both you and your spouse because your believers in Christ are considered saints. It's not some dead person who the church decided should be a saint. The Bible says everyone who believes in Christ is a saint. So we are to contribute to the needs of the saints. So keep that in mind. Your spouse's needs are something you should put the crosshairs on, and I'm going to go after that. I'm going to meet that need. I'm going to minister to them in that way. And those needs can manifest in many different ways. It could be insecurities they have. It could be fears they have. It could be areas of need just for love that only you can give. You should put a bullseye on those and go after those. That's your responsibility.
1: And physical needs. If you have a lot of children at home and your wife is not able to get things cleaned up around the house efficiently all the time because she's got a lot of little ones underfoot, help her with those needs. Yeah. Do the dishes for after dinner, help clean up. I mean, whatever the Lord leads you to do, that, that might be sacrifice. You might rather watch TV because you're tired from work. It says, and
0: seek to show hospitality. Now we think of that word mainly in like the hospitality industry, restaurants, hotels, that kind of thing. But what is the root of that word? The idea is it's a generous spirit. It's wanting to bless people. It's wanting to make an environment where people feel at home and comfortable. That's what hospitality is. So how does that look in marriage? We want our spouse to feel at home with us. We want them to feel welcomed by us. We want them to feel like we are open toward them and generously giving of ourselves toward them. And then it's interesting there in verse 14, he kind of turns a little corner. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. So let's just be honest here. Sometimes in marriage, you'll hit a patch where you feel you've been at odds for a while, or you've had tensions over the same thing over and over. And it can feel like you're on opposite sides, like your enemies. And that could feel like a persecutor or someone who's just not on the same team. And what do we tend to do as human beings when that happens? We tend to dig our foxhole. We get our defenses up. We're going to defend ourselves and our position. But because we're Christians, we have the Lord of the universe living in us. He gives us different instruction. He says, bless and do not curse. So in other words, don't respond as your flesh would have you respond or in one of those evil, sinful ways. Be ready to bless even when you feel
1: you're at odds with each other. Let's say you are being mistreated, feeling persecuted, feeling hurt by your spouse if you turn around and curse them then you're adding a wrong to their wrong so now Mm -hmm. you have two wrongs if you decide that you're just tired of it and you just let's say you're a wife and you don't want to serve your husband by cooking good meals because they are continually mistreating you well there's another wrong And then your attitude grows to bitterness and there's another wrong. And Mm -hmm. then you're mistreating your kids because you're angry at your husband who's been hurting you. Well, there's another wrong. So wrongs will compound and it will be a snowball effect (laughs) Mm -hmm. to where the snowball will get so big it will crush you and destroy your marriage. God is wanting you to turn around with sacrificial love towards your spouse who's hurting you because He already has a plan to help with those areas of wrong. So you you responding in wrongful ways and adding other sin to their sin, you're basically saying, I don't trust God. He can't fix this. So I'm going to take it into my own hands. I'm just going to retaliate. And then it makes a mess. And many times that kind of a mindset, that kind of a marriage ends in divorce.
0: And as you're describing all that, I can't help but hearing how countercultural that whole attitude is. You know, to bless instead of cursing. But again, going back to our model, our example of sacrificial love from the very beginning, Jesus Christ came to this earth who wasn't looking for him, who didn't deserve him, who didn't want him. And he knew we needed him anyway, and so he came. Self-sacrificing love is about the other person. It's not about the offense. I mean, Jesus was offended more than anybody, and yet he hung on a cross for us. So our, our bar is very high here. But again, he lives in us to pull this off through us. And so as we adopt our attitude and say, I'm going to commit to living this countercultural way, he will come online and he will do some amazing things.
1: The next verses say, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly.
0: So rejoice with those who rejoice. When your spouse is excited about something, happy about something, enthused about some future dream our response should be to rejoice with them I mean we may not agree on every detail we may not think it's a realistic thing but that's not always the moment to say it
1: there's nothing more discouraging for when you are feeling excited about something and your spouse comes back with practical explanation or a negative perspective their perspective might be good
0: might even be true
1: but first of all, the spouse should be having the mindset of, "Let me encourage them with where they're at right now." You know, wow, that does sound like a great idea. I love how you you're thinking about the kids with that idea. Yeah. For example, and then say the husband knows that some practical things need to be talked about. Don't be concerned; you will talk about those, and you'll bring your wife around to to seeing what you think God is wanting you to tell her. But don't squash her right away say no, that's a terrible idea. we can't do that because of here's all these reasons just re- rejoice in the fact that she is excited because she's she wants to do something loving for the kids
0: yeah when we can rejoice with someone who's rejoicing we're actually giving them a gift we're sharing in their joy we're sharing in their excitement and isn't a joyful experience better when you experience it with someone else that's really what Paul's telling us here
1: yeah, absolutely and then another thing maybe, Your husband comes home and he tells he was promoted or maybe how his boss gave him a compliment or a bonus or something like that. You as a wife need to make sure you're rejoicing with him and encouraging him in what the great work he's doing.
0: And then the other side of this is weep with those who weep. So when one or the other of the spouses is down about something, whether it's grounded in reality or not, whether it's just emotions that are blown out of proportion or not, The first instinct should be, I want to care for them in this moment of sadness. I'm sad that they're sad, and I want to step in and be a part of it with them to bring comfort just by being there with them. And what that does as well is it communicates, you value them even when they're down. You're for them even when they're sad. They don't have to perform perfectly for you to pay them off with love. You're there all the time, giving sacrificially.
1: Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. So what do you think live in harmony means?
0: Well, being at peace. It's like not allowing those irritations and rathers that you have to bring a a dissension or a negativity between you. Harmony is a musical term. You have the melody playing and the harmony playing along with it. It's just this beautiful mesh of sound that fits. And the opposite of that is dissonance when it's in a different key or somebody's off key and it it's kind of grating on even people who aren't musicians. They just go something's not right. Well that happens in our marriages when we allow irritation and frustration and things like that to worm their way into a, an interaction.
1: And in the second part, do not be haughty but associate with the lowly, it gives me the impression that when there's pride in your relationship, there's not going to be harmony. Like we talked about in the previous episodes, humility is huge. If you're not striving to be humble before the Lord and with your spouse, you're not gonna have much peace in your relationship.
0: That's right. And this all leads right into the last part of verse 16 where it says, never be wise in your own eyes. That's not saying God at times won't give you wisdom and that that wisdom needs to be expressed and you need to be confident in it. What it's saying is you shouldn't have the attitude of arrogance or pride that makes you think, I know what's best. I always know what's right. They should listen to me. I'm the one to direct this thing. Even if you are guys called to be the leader of the home, it doesn't mean you always have the best ideas. It, it's not default standard equipment with leadership that you have the great ideas. You, you need to be aware of your attitude that you can't be wise in your own eyes. You, you have to be humble. You have to stay in that place of humility.
1: And maybe another way to say it is be wise in God's eyes. Hmm. So, as a spouse, you're wanting to seek God's wisdom. There might be a time when you are truly believing that God has told you something in a scenario of a discussion that you're having with your spouse, and you think that what your perspective is is God's wisdom and their perspective is not. Well, you patiently talk it through. You don't demand, no, I know what's right. God told me this in this verse that I read this morning. You need to seek to understand one another and be patient in working it through and trust that the Lord is going to bring your spouse to see the same thing that he showed you.
0: Yeah, that's good. I think a general thing to just keep in mind is truth will triumph. You don't have to push. You don't have to cajole. You don't have to manipulate. You can patiently Speak the truth, listen to the other person, interact about it. The truth will triumph in time. So friends, on this episode, our assignment for you is real simple. It's a memorization activity. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 that we went through early in the podcast and write those down in your favorite Bible version and memorize them. There's a lot of ways you can do this, a lot of methods for memorizing, but just have it in your mind by memorization what love looks like so that you'll be able to more readily say in an evaluation sort of way is my behavior toward my spouse being loving in this thing that i'm doing
1: it was a blessing sharing with you some of the the things that the lord has taught us and we have great hope for you and your marriage
0: why don't i pray for us father thank you again for your word thank you for the opportunity to hear its truth and let it penetrate our hearts We pray, Jesus, that you would rise up in power in us as your people, and you would take the wheel and you would live this life of sacrificial love through us toward our spouse and therefore expanding out from there to the whole world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast is a production of Morning Mindset Media. Find out how you can become a monthly partner to help us help you and others Get their minds aligned with the truth of God's word. You can also find out about our other podcasts at morningmysetmedia.com. I think because he's got so much hair, he's hot. And then another idea, I'm full of ideas today.
1: Level, level, marriage, marriage. Love, love, carry, carry. We've got it going. Everything is wonderful. God is good god is good god is wonderful god is faithful god is amazing
0: okay my turn i agree with all those things god is good and my mic was very hot here we go too high yeah they say hot when it's really when it's really loud hot 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 hot